When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, it's another listener questions episode. I don't usually do these uh, so close together, but I was pretty jet-lagged this week. I uh, visited the U.S., visited family, friends, went to a couple weddings, did a whole thing, and now I'm back in Europe. So my brain is taking a little while to understand I'm supposed to sleep at night. So I thought I would still do an episode this week, but make it a listener questions episode. Um, so I hope that you guys like it. I, as always, really enjoy answering your questions. And if you have a question for me that is related to evolutionary biology, animals, even people, I guess, uh, you can send me an email at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. So let's get right into it. So this one is on the topic of otters. Hey, Katie, a friend and I were chatting about this little guy. He was saying they have favorite rocks. I assume these are used as tools. I didn't even know that they had work pouches. And there's a link to a video of an otter stuffing stuff into its little armpit pouches. The listener continues, I was wondering then if you knew more about what they do with these pouches and the stuff they keep in there. Also, if you knew more about other animals that have favorite implements that they hold on to. And this is from PK. So yeah, otters are really interesting. They have these uh, sort of armpits that have bit of loose skin in there and it can envelop small items like rocks. Um, and indeed, the rocks that they collect are used to crack open bivalves and other 
hard-shelled sea critters, which they like to eat. So sometimes they will even store extra snacks in their pit pockets and they can crack open their clams or mussels using these rocks. They can also use hard surfaces, but when they are floating out at sea, there's usually not much uh, in terms of surfaces to be had. So keeping their little rock there with them in that pouch can be a really handy tool to have when they find a tasty mussel or clam that they need to crack open on their belly. Uh, there are indeed other animals who uh, specialize in tool use and will retain tools that they like. There are primates who will have sort of like favorite rocks or poking sticks that they like to keep because they are really good at, say, uh, poking through rotting wood to pick up termites or cracking open nuts. But the little utility pouch that otters have to store their rocks in is one of the cutest adaptations that I've seen in terms of tool use. Uh, but sea otters have a number of amazing adaptations for life at sea. Their feet are webbed and help with swimming, as does their little stubby tail. Uh, they have incredibly dense fur, uh, so they don't have any blubber, unlike other types of aquatic mammals. And so they need a lot of fur to insulate them to keep them warm. So their fur is incredibly dense. They have nearly a million hairs per square inch or six and a half square centimeters of skin. So in addition to their dense coats, they have extremely high metabolisms to help them stay warm. And they need to consume around a fourth of their body weight every day to maintain this internal furnace. Their jaws are really powerful. Uh, I know they look cute, but they are designed to maximize bite force, which allows them to crush the shells of bivalves or the spines of sea urchins. Their hands, their forelimbs, uh, meanwhile, are optimized for grabbing things so that they can use things like manipulate tools and they aren't really used for swimming. They usually keep them tucked at their side while they undulate their body and their tails and their webbed feet to be able to swim. Uh, they can also use their very large lung capacity to stay buoyant and they can effortlessly rest by floating on their backs. This is why sea otters may hold hands with their mates and mother sea otters place their pups on their bellies, otherwise they would get separated from their families uh, just through casually drifting apart, but literally drifting apart on the ocean. This is why sometimes mother sea otters will anchor their babies to like these floating kelp debris or kelp forests to uh, have a safe point for their baby to hang out and they the mother can go and hunt for things and then return back to where she's left her baby. And sometimes they do this near humans, like in a human bay where there are boats. And then you'll see an otter place her little baby, her pup, up on like some moorings or on a boat because she is trying to keep it safe so it won't drift away while she is out collecting things. And it also helps the baby float because when they're young, they have they struggle more to float.
But yes, if you want to be a handyman like an otter, you would keep your tools in your armpits in that flexible pouch of skin. And I highly recommend you look up videos of otters' armpits. And that sounds weird and bad, but it's really cute. Trust me. Next listener question. This one sent me into an existential crisis. Not really, but uh, close. Soldier bugs will invade our home sometimes, and they seem to start out energetic and buzzy, flying into things and being weird until we evict them to the outside. But once in a while, a bug will stick around, wandering the walls and slowly, slowly, slowly lose vitality until they make the great transition into the unknown. But how can you tell? I've poked bugs that have been motionless for days, and they might fall to the ground dead, but sometimes they'll startle and begin to walk. How can a creature be so apparently dead not be dead? Is life and death more of a continuum for some creatures? And this is from Juanito M. Thank you so much for the question, Juanito. I wouldn't necessarily say that life and death is more of a continuum for some animals, but I mean, one could make that argument. So death is defined, as far as I understand, like the total irreversible cessation of biological processes. Uh, But I guess the closest you get to being dead without actually being dead is the slowing of biological processes. And this actually happens in many animals from the hibernation of certain mammals during the winter, the estivation during the summer of many species of reptiles and amphibians. By the way, estivation and hibernation are only distinct in terms of the season. So like hibernation is done during the winter, during cold temperatures. Estivation is done during the summer or during warm temperatures. There is also torpor, which is a more generalized term for the reduction of physiological activity to conserve energy. So An animal can go into torpor daily. It can go into torpor a few days at a time, a few weeks at a time, maybe even a few months at a time. So insects can hibernate, they can estivate, and they can go into torpor, daily torpor or torpor for uh, any number of days or period of time. So none of these insects or even animals that we talk about when they go into torpor Uh, really, quote unquote, come back from the dead, even though it really seems that way sometimes, because death, again, is the complete irreversible cessation of biological processes. So like, I feel, I mean, maybe this is pedantic, I don't really know. um, But like when someone says that they died on the operating table or something, I personally wouldn't really define that as death say even if your heart stops, because it's not an irreversible cessation of your biological processes because you're brought back to life in that situation. But I'm not here to gatekeep death, I guess. (laughs) That's not not my job. Um, But yes, so I would say that these insects uh, do not really come back from the dead, but some come pretty close. So the mountain stone weta of New Zealand must survive very, very cold temperatures. So wettas, uh, if you don't know, they look like these really large, fat crickets. They're quite big. They're about the size of like an adult's palm. Uh, But in New Zealand, uh, this species, the mountain stone weta, lives in, in the mountains and it gets quite cold. 
If you've seen Lord of the Rings, you know that New Zealand ranges from being these beautiful uh, rolling green hills to cold mountainous regions with snow. So they freeze in icing conditions in the mountains, but somehow they don't die. So proteins in their hemolymph, so hemolymph is essentially blood for insects, uh, these proteins in their hemolymph prevent their cells from forming ice crystals. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you might say that this sounds similar to the wood frog, which also can be frozen and similarly not die and also has kind of like antifreeze-like proteins and sugars in its blood. Very similar, very similar. Of course, different evolutionary paths, completely different evolutionary paths, but they've both come to this in a sort of a, a convergent evolution. Yeah, so these these wettas will freeze and the proteins in their hemolymph prevent ice crystals from forming in their cells. So that means that when they thaw, these ice crystals don't explode their cells, which is very important if you want to keep living. So they can spend up to two and a half weeks in this state of being frozen solid at a time. And I would say this is not really death. This is more suspended animation. The difference being that death is permanent and suspended animation can potentially be reversed. Uh, and so when it warms up, these wettas will thaw out and they will start moving again. And it is really, really interesting. I mean, it, it does, I suppose somewhat blur the lines between life and death because you can have your biological processes slow or even stop um, without really being dead because if there is a chance or, or a good chance that you will reverse that, right, uh, then you are not technically dead, I don't think. But I don't really know what that means for people. Like if you could freeze a person before they've died or as they're dying, cryogenically freezing someone, would that person not be dead if there's some hope in the future that they could be revived? I don't know. Interesting thought experiment. I just know that a certain someone who invented a certain mouse is probably frozen somewhere and will be revived in the future to take over the world. Uh, which mouse am I talking about? You couldn't, you couldn't say, and so I'm unsuable. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. 
There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. On to the next listener question. Hi, Katie. Thank you for your explanation about bird bones. I didn't have a clear idea of how it works, and now my understanding is better. But as often happens, as soon as I learn something new, I have more questions. Without diaphragmatic pumping, does that air in the bone just stagnate? Do birds have other muscle groups or some other mechanism to somehow keep the air inside this non-flexible bone structure circulating? Is it more about buoyancy so it doesn't really matter? This is from Amanda M. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for this question. I am very happy to clarify if I am able to. So it's true that birds don't have diaphragms like mammals, but like you guessed, they do have muscles that move uh, to fill the air sacs that they have inside their bodies, facilitating the flow of air in and out. So essentially when you look at a bird, they have these air sacs both in the front of their body and in the back of their body, and they have lungs kind of in the center, but they also have these um, pneumatic bones, uh, pneumatized bones, and in these bones, they're not completely hollow, but they have these huge air pockets, so they look sort of like a fluffy sourdough bread, except, you know, it's hard bone. And so inside of their bones, there's space for air, and I mentioned previously on the listener questions episode that this air can help increase sort of the total abundancy of air circulating through the bird's body. So to understand how this works, let's talk a little bit more about how the bird's respiratory system works. So um, essentially, muscles expand the chest cavity, which fills the air sacs. uh, And then to deflate the air sacs, to exhale, essentially these skeletal muscles will compress. Their lungs, however, remain inflated throughout this whole process. They don't uh, inflate and deflate like our lungs. Uh, There's a constant flow of air from these air sacs that kind of move in sequence that continuously ventilate the lungs. This allows a greater efficiency and a greater intake of oxygen, which is a really important adaptation for the rigors of flight, particularly for birds who fly at high altitudes and have no problem. So their bones being, quote unquote, hollow in that they actually have extra space inside, but of course they're not entirely hollow. They have struts and there are some bones that birds have that are not hollow at all. They have marrow they produce uh, the cells, the, the the sort of immune cells and blood cells inside of the marrow, just as we do. Uh, but there are bones in the bird's body that are pneumatized that have this sort of bubbly uh, space inside. So this allows air to enter the bones, and the bones are actually connected to the respiratory system through fleshy tubing called diverticula. So the diverticula connect to the bird's air sacs and lungs. So the air inside the skeleton is connected to the rest of the respiratory system. So this air doesn't get stale, it's connected to the airflow of the rest of the respiratory system. 
so we actually do have some pneumatized bones in our sinuses, which helps airflow into our respiratory system. Just the difference between us and birds is that birds have these air canals throughout their skeletons. On to the next listener question. Just finished your episode about extraterrestrial-like animals, and you mentioned a fact about the platypus that I hadn't been aware of. You mentioned that it has the ability to sense things by their electrical charges from sensors in its bill. Is this the same sensors that sharks have, the ampules of Lorenzini? I'm 100% certain I'm misspelling it, but hopefully you know what I'm talking about. Eh, it's, it's a tough word, I understand. Or if it's not the same, is it similar? Uh, feel free to use this for your listener questions episode. Thanks again for your five-star podcast, your fan Dan. Hi, Dan. This is a fantastic question. So both sharks and platypuses are capable of electroreception, the ability to detect electrical fields. This is also true of other animals, including echidnas, lungfishes, rays, um, so sharks, rays, lungfishes, echidnas, and platypuses are capable of what's known as passive electrolocation, meaning they have organs that can pick up electrical signals without sending anything out. There's also something called active electrolocation, which is when the animal generates an electrical field and uses that to detect its environment through the interfe interference of the electrical field with things in its environment, such as other animals or obstacles or whatever. So this is much like a bat who sends out sound, a, a, a you know, basically a sonar ping that bounce it off, bounces off something in its environment, and then they listen for it with their ears. These um, active electrolocation uh, species will send out an electrical field and then they sense when it bounces back to them as having an interference. So animals who do active electrolocation include elephant fish, electric rays, skates, electric eels, electric catfishes, and knife fishes. So let's talk about the uh, ampullae of Lorenzini. So ampullae of Lorenzini are sensory organs that detect electrical signals, and these are specific to sharks, rays, skates, and lungfishes. Platypuses, meanwhile, do have electroreceptive organs of its own in its bill that evolved independently. So uh, these are distinct from the ampullae of Lorenzini, but researchers have noted that they are somewhat similar structures, and so that actually, I think, was one of the reasons they were interested in whether these could be capable of electroreception. So uh, they are somewhat structurally similar. Uh, the sensory organs in platypuses are actually modified mucus glands. So these mucus glands would keep the bill moist, but these ones have been modified to actually be able to detect uh, electrical pulses. So they are in, arranged in stripes along the bill, which is useful when you're trying to detect where the electrical signal is coming from because you have an array of these sensory organs and then you can kind of know like, well, which ones are being activated and then you know which direction it's coming from. These are then attached to nerves. Now, species of echidna have the same system, but it's not nearly as well developed as the platypus. Uh, platypuses have around 40,000 electroreceptors versus echidnas who only have hundreds to a couple thousand. It's not... Super clear how much echidnas use these electroreceptors, 
Um, but platypuses definitely use them. And it's helpful for platypuses because they live in muddy environments. Uh, the, the waters that they swim around in are often muddy and silty. So it would be hard to see something, your prey, like uh, invertebrates, worms, um, small fish. And so they can use this electroreception to see in otherwise visually unclear environments. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Next listener question. Hey, Katie, it's the puppet person again. Okay, note from me, Katie. Uh, this is a listener who sent me this amazing photo of a, dra- a massive dragon puppet. It was like the size of two people that looked like it was made out of coconut crab exoskeletons. Really cool. Love it. Love a crab dragon. All right, back to the email. I've had an animal question floating partly formed around my head for a while, and today I found a way to express it. Why do so many patterns on sea critters look like the patterns created by the magnetic fields in this video? And they linked a really cool-looking video of, I think, a ferrofluid forming some patterns on, like, this microscope slide in a magnetic field. Um, back to the email. This video is the strongest example I've seen, but I've seen similarities while playing with both ferrofluids and the way sand arranges itself on a metal plate near a speaker playing a clear tone. It's possible there is no link, but they do seem strikingly similar. I figured you have uh, contacts with a lot of weird corners of the animal world, so might have some answers. Also, we made another animal puppet film. This one's about bats. I'm going to thoroughly enjoy this bats videos. Cheers. This is from Izzy B. So this is a big question and it might be a little over my head because it has to do with mathematics, which eh, I'm all right at, but you know, I'm not a mathematician. In fact, this was something that Alan Turing was interested in and came up with a theory about regarding zebra fishes uh, patterns. So um, modern biologists have actually looked at Alan Turing's theories 
Um, there, it's very interesting because Alan Turing was definitely on the right track, but he was mostly wrong. But the the it really interestingly, he was kind of like coincidentally not not quite coincidentally, but like he was he opened up the path for figuring out how this actually works. So. Basically, there are diffusion models based on reaction diffusion of chemicals, like these movements of, of chemicals, of the molecules that uh, result in these patterns. So uh, in the case of a living organism, it might be the cells under development uh, doing some kind of movement and there being some kind of pattern of, of interactions of movement of these cells which would result in the generation of asymmetrical patterns that we see in fish, in reptiles, in, you know, so many animals. But in fact, even though these patterns look very much like a reaction diffusion pattern, uh, at least in zebrafish, researchers of, you know, modern day researchers have found that these are not actually the results of cell movement, of cells sort of like moving around and interacting with each other, but cell growth, which is kind of an interesting distinction. So essentially, there are rules in the way that developing skin cells and pigment cells interact with each other as they're growing and developing. And these rules in terms that guides like how these cells will interact with each other and grow next to each other creates these patterns. So it's basically the interference of these cells as they're growing. And what you see with things like magnetic fields or say you put sand on speakers and you see these like sound uh, fields and stuff, is you're getting kind of interference patterns. So same thing in terms of like water or laser. It's not necessarily all them following the same rules of interaction. You're going to have different rules with like interference of say photons versus water versus sound waves, versus magnetic fields, but they all are forming these interference patterns. And it is really interesting that you see somewhat similar patterns emerge with uh, interference patterns, even though uh, they're maybe following slightly different rules. Um, but yeah, essentially, uh, probably what's happening with cells and animals, you're getting this interference pattern not through movement, uh, but through these rules that they follow chemically when they are developing and growing next to each other and basically interfering with each other's growth and influencing how they grow. It's sort of like there was this really old video game, I think just called Life, or it was just some pixels on the screen, but pixels would have just a few simple rules uh, when they would like interact with each other. And that would result in these interesting patterns. And so it's kind of the same thing going on here. Um, if there are any like actual legit mathematicians out there uh, who study uh, this kind of thing about like uh, or physicians, particle physicists, although I do know one, I guess I could call him up and ask him. But yeah, if any of you understand uh, the the math or the science of interference patterns and you want to write into me, I would love to read your perspective because this is definitely a little over my head, but I'm I'm hoping I'm giving a decent enough explanation. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of guessing as well. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just assume that, you know, when you have sort of an interference pattern with one thing, it's kind of partially coincidence, but partially uh, not coincidence uh, where you have similar patterns emerge from, you know, 
even different types of interference mechanisms. All right. So thank you guys so much for your questions. Love answering them. Uh, before we go, uh, I do have, so we play a game every week called Guess Who's Squawkin', the mystery animal sound game. Uh, I don't want to answer it this time. I want to wait until I have a guest on. So sorry for keeping you on tinterhooks. I know everyone's biting their nails about what animal is making this sound. Just the biggest cliffhanger in history. Uh, anyways, uh, here was the hint for the last mystery animal sound. Squeakers here doesn't like being handled. In fact, his own hands have turned into something else. If you can guess who is making that sound, you can write to me at creaturefuturepod at gmail.com. Next week, I am probably going to have a guest on the show, so we're going to go back to the OG format of the show. But I do these listener questions episodes every so often. Again, if you have a question that you would like me to answer, you can email me at creaturefuturepod at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you're enjoying the show and you leave a rating or review, I read every single review and I appreciate all the feedback. And thank you so much to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, where you guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows, I don't judge ya. See you next Wednesday. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.